Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. There's something about reading. Uh, it's just more fulfilling than just about any other activity, certainly more than television. Uh, I've been rediscovering that. We'll, we'll go into that uh, a little bit of my personal life from the past couple of months. Uh, but we know that you are an avid reader as well. We've had a lot of fun in the past putting together a UPR book lists. It's uh, something about uh, coming together as a community and helping each other out. You might uh, have a must-read book that we would really enjoy. And so we're looking for your suggestion, your list. Maybe it's one book, could be several. Uh, and we're going to compile a UPR book list. We'll put that on our website. Uh, just in an hour or two. Uh, You can call us at 1-800-826-1495. That's 1-800-826-1495. I hope that you will. You can email us at upraxis at gmail.com. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. A couple people have already done that. You can join us on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio. Uh, We are joined in studio by Elaine Thatcher, UPR member, avid reader. Welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's always fun to do this. And uh, we will be joined uh, successively through the hour by some booksellers. Tell us the latest and greatest. Anne Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Uh, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Um, Reading. It's just occurring to me yesterday as preparing for the program, and I'll disclose from my life, Elaine, um, I've gotten away from the television a little bit in the last uh, oh, two or three months. Gotten back into reading. That's great. A passion you know. of mine as a younger man, but then I got seduced by the uh, by the tube. I well, I'm getting less and less seduced by it. You know, I I turn it off a lot more than I used to, and I. Uh, but for me, the ritual is, I always. Even if I've been watching something on television, when I go to bed, I I get to read for a while until I fall asleep. Sometimes that's only about two seconds, and then sometimes it's longer. But um, uh, just reading is, uh, you know, it's comforting, and it em- engages my imagination. It, I just love it. So Yeah, I guess you, you create all those worlds yourself, right? Yes. And then sometimes when we see the adaptation of the silver screen work, we're a little bit disappointed. Uh, in fact, right now I'm reading a classic science fiction novel called The Moat in God's Eye by Larry Niven. It was, uh, gosh, when was it written? I can't remember. Anyway, it was uh, uh, a first contact kind of a story. And, you know, I find myself, uh, you know, my head is full of images trying to figure out what what it looks like. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's and all there. It, television movies hand it to you. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so if you just want to check out, you know, TV is great. I, I'm maligning, you know, my our, our brethren and sisters over at uh, PBS are probably you know, screaming <laughs> right now. Uh, I like to think that radio provides a little bit of that, too. You, pr- you have to provide your own, yes. you know, at least visual images. Yep. Uh, a very intimate medium as well. So I'll just give you a couple of, uh, a couple of my uh, items from my list. I've been uh, going back to my library, and so these are older uh, books. Uh, but I've rediscovered Barbara Tuckman, who's a wonderful oh, yes. historian. Yes. Amateur historian. But she's such a witty and and fun and fun writer. Uh, really gets into the, to the to the uh, the meat of history. And so I've been reading *A Distant Mirror*, the calamitous 14th century. And that is on my bookshelf, and I haven't read it. I need to pull it off and read it. Uh, so that century had the Black Death, had the Crusades. Uh, one of the centuries had the Crusades. Uh, just a, a an incredible chaotic century. <laughs> and her point is it mirrors our own time, which it, in many ways it does. That's great. Uh, tell us another couple on your list. Well, you know, I have a couple I didn't care for that much. Um, I I read, I think I said this on our last program, I said I, I was reading The Mill on the Floss, and I just finally put it down and didn't finish it. Um, this is a classic by George Eliot, um, but you know, it was so depressing, and I knew how it was going to end, and I just couldn't bring myself to make it to that ending, <laughs> so, so I put it down, although I really enjoyed the story, you know. Another one I didn't care for, and it's all the rage, it has been for about a year or so, is The Alchemist by Paul Coilo. Um, it's a sort of an allegory uh, and has a lot of philosophy in it, and it just sort of left me cold. I didn't hmm. really – and a lot of people adore that book, and they yeah. live their lives by it, you know. But um, for me, it just wasn't – you know, I 
it felt it felt shallow for some yeah. reason. So anyway, you know, teach his own. We'll take your paths as well. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you really hated a book, you know, steer us away from it. <laughs> or, or maybe argue with your neighbor about this. Uh, on our Facebook page, by the way, you're welcome to join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Jennifer has said uh, that uh, she is reading right now The Servant of the Shared by R.A. Salvatore. I'm not familiar with that I'm, one. I don't know that one. As she says, on her bedside, she has the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, a translation of Majima uh, Nikaya, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Teachings of the Buddha by Bhikkhu Bodhi. <clears throat> and then we put out the 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 uh, question on our Facebook page, what are you giving as a gift? And she says, well, that depends on the person, which I guess is yeah, absolutely that, true. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Anderson, who uh, works uh, down at the Logan Library, uh, says, books I have read in the last six months that I would recommend, Icons of England, edited by Bill Bryson. Also, Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview by D. Michael Quinn. Uh, he recommends The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. And oh, yes, absolutely. The, you, you love that one? <laughs> yeah. I've never read that one. Oh, to, my goodness, yeah. I, I need to read that one. Uh, he also says the he's reading The Plantagenets, The Warrior Kings and Queens Who Made England by... Dan Jones. That sounds interesting. I yeah, love history. Yeah. English I, English history, particularly lately. And Joseph Anderson also says, currently reading and loving Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy. I read that it, years, it, several years ago. My impression of Thomas Hardy is, again, uh, depressing. Yeah, it was, it was not a real upbeat book, <laughs> but it was beautifully written. Okay. So, so you'd recommend that one? Oh, yes, I All would. Right, yeah. Great. Um, let me, uh, if I can... If I can navigate properly, I'm always a little lost on uh, social media. <laughs> I can throw another one in okay. while you're looking. Yes. I, I, I read one called Euphoria by Lily King, which is a novel based on Margaret Mead's early field work in New Guinea. And, uh, you know, you can recognize the characters. If you know anything about Margaret Mead's life, you recognize who these characters who are fictional are supposed to be. And uh I really liked it. I'm a field worker. I kind of got into that side of it, seeing how they did their field work. So you do, you recommend that one? I do. Uh, tell us again the title. Euphoria. Euphoria. By Lily King. Okay. And uh, then Patrick on our Facebook page uh, says, I've read a few series lately that I've loved, especially the Wildwood books. It's a trilogy. All three books are fantastic. Hmm. So we bring in now Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Ann, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. Are you, are you and uh, a couple of these books uh, Elaine and I are unfamiliar with. Uh, Patrick on our Facebook page says he's loving the Wildwood books. Uh, trilogy. The Wildwood books are terrific. They're what we would call a middle reader, so third grade through sixth grade. And they're, uh, they're definitely fantasy. They take place in that giant park in Portland, Oregon. And as the book opens, a young girl is strolling her baby brother in the stroller. And she turns her head for a minute. And when she turns back, a uh, murder of crows, is that what you call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Are flying away with her baby brother in their talons. Wow. <laughs> so wow. Nice. The okay. book's in motion. <laughs> All right. And there, there's another one, and uh, The Servant of the, Sh- of the Shard by R.A. Salvatore. I saw that mentioned, and I don't know that book either. That's one okay. I'm going to have to look into. It sounds we'll like it's to, probably a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Have to have to look that one up. All yeah. right. Oh, well, by Salvatore, yeah, great, yeah. great fantasy writer. Okay, uh, so let's let's jump into to your list. What's what's latest and greatest? What uh, what can you recommend? <laughs> okay, well, the the book that we all love, 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 is All the Light We Cannot See. Anthony Doerr is a very talented writer from Idaho who is one of our favorites ever, but we think this is his best book, his breakout book. He was nominated for the National Book Award. And it's a novel about a a young girl and a young boy, but there's kind of a fairy tale aspect to it. The young girl's blind, and she lives with her father in the Natural History Museum in Paris during World War II. And her father is very devoted to her and crafts these... um, tiny villages so that she can feel them and then figure out her way to get around her neighborhood in Paris. The young boy at the same time is German. He's living in an orphanage, and he's very talented with radios and electronic sets and things like that. And he gets conscripted, basically, into an elite Nazi school for men, young boys, and becomes part of the Nazi machine. And so it's a story of what happens when fate takes charge you know, and you don't ask to have things happen. 
The Germans invade Paris, and the young girl and her father um, have to flee. And the young boy, meanwhile, is part of a Nazi unit that's crossing France. Um, and it's how these two stories intertwine and different viewpoints. It's absolutely beautiful. It's so beautifully written. Uh, I, have you read it? I have a chance to read part of it. I interviewed uh, Anthony Doerr. He was oh, you in, did? In the I remember. Yes. yes. Uh, it, it, you know, it's sort of frustrating, my job. I'm not complaining. I love it. <laughs> but uh, but I don't have time to read the whole book. <laughs> so, not enough time. And, and then tomorrow's another interview, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Well, if you have any time over the holidays, that's the yes. one I would pick. Yes, read, read the rest of it. It's so beautiful. All the Light We Cannot See, is that what you said? All the Light We Cannot See, it's by Anthony Doerr. Uh, and if you don't have quite enough time, The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabrielle Zevin, that's just come out in paper. It's a short, fun novel. A.J. Fickery runs a bookstore <clears throat> in the middle of nowhere. You have to take a train and then a boat. And his wife's passed away. And so in this small town where he lives, he is basically crabby and <laughs> doesn't want to talk to anybody. But it's a great little bookstore. At the beginning of each chapter, he talks about a book that he has loved and what you find out early on in the book is that a baby is left on his doorstep, mysteriously, and he takes the baby in. And so the, so the whole story is him raising this baby, trying to figure out where the baby come fr- comes from, um, and then um, how he softens over time. And it's the love of fiction that brings that town together. Hmm. That sounds wonderful. That sounds lovely. It's a, it's a really great read. So that's the storied life of A.J. Fickery. Of A.J. Fickery, yeah. Uh, what else is on your list? Okay, also The Plover by Brian Doyle. Brian is a professor up in Oregon. He wrote Mink River a number of years ago, which we also loved. The Plover is the name of this man's boat. It's kind of an old fishing trawler. And as the book opens, he's setting off from the coast of Washington, pretty much decided to never be seen again. And you get the sense that he's had some problems in his life. He's a curmudgeon. Um, You don't really know where it's going to go. And as the book progresses, he stops at different islands, and people get on the boat, and people get off the boat, but he kind of takes on a regular crew, one of whom is one of his best friends, and the best friend's daughter, who was hit by a school bus when she was in kindergarten. And I know that sounds awful, and it is, of course, but this young girl seems to have a a magic ability to commune with the wind and the birds and the fish. And so the whole time this boat is in motion, you're getting the, the, the people's perspective on the boat, and you're also getting her perspective. And they get chased by bad guys, and they fish, and they almost drown. And it's just a great a kind of across-the-ocean adventure. Hmm. Mm, sounds the, wonderful. The Plover by Brian Doyle. The Plover. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And, that, and all the light we cannot see, the Plover, all of these books are fine for um, teen readers. There's no content in here that I can remember. They'd have to worry about. And then Dear Committee Members is Julie Schumacher. This is what we call an epistolary novel. It's it's a professor at some small Midwestern college writing letters from the beginning of the school year. He's writing to other professors. He's writing to graduate schools, writing recommendations for his students. He's writing to the head of the English department, complaining about how the econ department gets a hot tub and they can barely flush their toilets. <laughs> it's really funny and really dear. And over the course of the year, as he writes these letters, you find out a lot more about his life and how he um, has kind of come to be who he is. And then it's just got a sweet ending. Hmm. That's a, a epistolary novels can. Uh, that's an interesting way to do a book. I've, I've read I, some of those that have been hilarious. You know, you go back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Well, like the Guernsey Literary, that was largely epistolary. And yeah. I loved that, too. And what's the name of it again? It's um, <clears throat> Dear Committee Members. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what else do you have for us? Well, let's talk a little bit about kids' books, because that's important for this time of year. Shannon Hale and Dean Hale are collaborating on a new series called The Princess in Black. And we would say this is for a transitional reader. So kindergarten, first, second grade. And the princess is a princess by day, obviously, but at night she turns into a ninja, and she uh-huh. fights the bad guys and the bad monsters. And I don't yeah. know if you know Dean very well. You know, you know Shannon's funny, but Dean is so funny too. The kids love this book; they can't wait for the next to come out. Hmm. Lots of pictures, um, very funny, and hopefully this is a series that's going to last a long time. It sounds like some girl power there. <laughs> yeah. So that's the princess in black. Yeah. Okay, great. And then Nuts to You is by Lynn Ray Perkins. 
This is also what I would call a middle reader, lots of white space, so third, fourth, fifth grade. And it's about a band of squirrels who live in the trees. And because they live in modern-day times, they use the telephone pole lines to kind of um, set their uh, boundaries and know where they are. And as the book opens, they start hearing noises, and what it turns out to be is people cutting down trees and moving the telephone lines. And it's how nature, in the form of squirrels, um, has to cope with that. Hmm. Not scary necessarily, but interesting and, and fun. And it's fun to see how the, how the squirrels work together to move to a new home. Yeah, some interesting issues being talked about there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then a couple of picture books that have just been so great this year. Mac Barnett, very, very funny. His new book is called Telephone, and it's literally a picture book of birds on a wire. And we've all played that game, right, where you mm-hmm. whisper mm-hmm. something in somebody's ear and disaster <laughs> inevitably happens. This is a story of, in the beginning, the mama bird says to the next bird, go get so-and-so, it's time for dinner. And so he flies off. In fact, she says, tell Peter, fly home for dinner. And he flies off and says to the next bird, tell Peter, hip-hop flies and homers. (laughs) And you can see that it just gets sillier and sillier until finally you get to the end of the line and the message has become completely crazy. But Peter does get home. And he does have dinner. <laughs> Darling, read aloud book. Cute <laughs> pictures. Yeah. Anywhere from, I mean, even a two-year-old's going to sit in your lap and love that. Yeah, it's 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 great to have a picture book for for that That's age. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I have to mention, Jan Brett has a new Christmas book. You know, we look forward to her books whenever they come out, but Christmas is especially uh, her her best her best stuff. And this is the Animal Santa, and it's about animals wondering if there is a Santa and is there a Santa for them specifically. And her pictures along the sides of the pages and the drawings are just, they're just dear. This is going to be one of our top sellers this holiday. The, the Animal Santa. The right. Animal Santa. That sounds that fun, sounds too. Fun. Boy, those all sound great. Yeah. But, Lots of fun books this year. Yeah, wonderful. We'll have the list up on our website. It sounds like your headliner is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. I would probably say that's our favorite. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, some great uh, children's books uh, to recommend there as well. Uh, well, it's always fun. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, Anne Holman, it's always great to talk to you. English Bookshop Take in care. Salt Lake City. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. We uh, have with us uh, in studio Elaine Thatcher, and she's giving us her list. I've got a list as well. And uh, coming up in the program, in about 10 minutes, we'll be talking with Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Later in the program, Catherine Weller from uh, Catherine uh, from Weller Bookworks. And we're looking for your book. Maybe it's one book. Maybe it's a book list. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, where we have uh, shared with you uh, Jennifer's list and uh, uh, also uh, Joseph's. Uh, and a few others. You can join us on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio, and our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. Or you can call us. That's the most direct way to get your uh, books through to us. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more from Elaine's List. And uh, in about five or ten minutes, Andy Nettle will join us. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Alpha Ta Omega presenting Starry Night, a Christmas concert to benefit racing for orphans with Down syndrome, Friday and Saturday, December 5th and 6th in the USU Performance Hall from 7 to 9 p.m. Details at 435-757-3353. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. What does a chef keep in his pantry? We find out this week with Marcus Samuelson, and we get a lesson in pairing wine. What does a person drink with spicy Doritos? Join us, that's The Splendid Table, the show about life's appetites from APF. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are compiling a Utah Public Radio book list. This could be holiday gift suggestions. This could be something you're reading that you just love right now and uh, want to share. We'd love for you to share that. Uh, we would want we'd want to read it ourselves. We know that uh, Public Radio listeners, UPR listeners, are avid readers, and uh, so we've had a lot of fun in the past. We're doing it again. Uh, our list, collective list, will be up on our website uh, within about an hour of the program today. UPR. Uh, um, upr.org is the website. You can join us at upraxcess at gmail.com, our email address. You can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio and on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. That's where Jennifer and uh, Joseph uh, have joined us and uh, shared some books. Uh, also, Patrick, uh, we would love to have your list. Maybe a book. Maybe Elaine has panned a couple of books that uh, she... In fact, you uh, you dissed George Eliot. I mean, that the... the <laughs> The literature gods will be striking you. Well, yeah, uh, it's really it would, true. I mean, although, I, like I said, it was a great story <laughs> and beautifully written, but I didn't want to deal with that yeah. ending. So Yeah. So, yeah, you know, give us, uh, we're getting real here on the program. <laughs> uh, by the way, I was, before we went on there, I was telling Elaine in that same vein, um, I had been really impressed with and loved as a, as a younger man, um, Robert Ludlum's uh, Born Identity. The the, yes. the 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 Bourne trilogy, which has been made into movies now, uh, he's an expert plotter. It's just uh, some very interesting things. Uh, and the Bourne identity is is that's a great plot. Uh, yeah, it is. A guy it's... floating on the water. He he's lost his identity, and now he has to figure out: Am I am a bad guy? Am a good guy? Right. You know? Yeah. It's he a has great all these story. skills. Yeah. I went back and uh, you know a few years ago and and uh, tried to reread it and and discovered at least in my mind that uh, Ludlum is a little bit clunky as a. As a writer. <laughs> as <you know>? a writer. <laughs> Wonderful as a plotter, but a little clunky as a writer, so I, I, I dropped it right there. So there's my pan, although it's, it's, it's a fascinating story. Uh, anyway, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to plug another book that uh, I'm going to go back and read. Well, I've never read it, uh, so I want to pick it up. And this is uh, from rewatching the BBC television series. It's North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell. Oh, yes. I've read the book. So, have and you I've, read it? I've seen the series, and I just loved it. It yeah. was, in fact, the book will give you a greater sense of the labor relations at the time. You know, here in industrial northern England, um, the kinds of tensions that were going on between the classes, it's its a really, I enjoyed it a lot. The, the, the north and south here, people not familiar with it, uh, the south is where the family has come from. Yeah, south of England and uh, a green genteel, and green, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they've headed to the north, the industrialized, newly industrialized north of Manchester. Uh, the... the uh, um, cotton mills and yeah. you know and it's it's uh and it's the there's lint in the air all the time and it's gray and yeah it's it, it's very interesting and the, the heroine does come to appreciate the north as well and there's a romance in it and it's, yes yeah um but, but re-watching that bbc series i was just so impressed they did yes. such a great job it, it's even replaced it's even topped to wives and daughters which is a Mm, which I, I love as I well. Seen that, yeah. yeah, that's a. Anyway, Elizabeth Gaskell, do do pick up her books. The wonderful writer, uh, overshadowed in the 19th century by Dickens and some other writers, mm -hmm, but yeah, now, now she she's was, being rediscovered. Yeah, she was of that time. So yeah. Uh, another one that I've really uh, picked up and enjoyed. This one uh, I found as a young man. I read part of it on my uh, parents' bookshelf. Uh, it's it's a. Uh, Mormon literature, it's added upon by Nephi Anderson. You know, that's one I've Just, always wanted to read because it's uh, it's sort of a, I don't know, it, nowadays it's a little bit, it's sort of a cult classic yeah, in yeah. Mormonism mm -hmm. and it's, um, uh, some people pan it, some people, right. you know, love it and it, it's, yeah, and I, I, should, I should read that. I can see why in both cases. Yeah. Uh, I was reading some criticism of it. It's a very brief book. Yes. And apparently at the time... Um, some people said this book should be added upon itself. You know, it, it, he, they wanted him to expand it. Uh, Nephi Anderson's writing at the turn of the uh, 19th to the 20th century. Yes, yeah. And uh, this, uh, there's LDS doctrine in here. I, I think, though, non-LDS, you know, could enjoy this. But I, I was quite taken uh, by it. I think he was writing it kind of for a younger audience as well. That could be. Um, anyway, another uh, another one on my a couple on my list. Uh, Edmund Morris has a couple of uh, wonderful books on Theodore Roosevelt, the rise of Theodore Roosevelt and Theodore Rex, which is about his presidency. Oh yeah, and I have. Well, I I watched the Roosevelt's series, yes. uh, the Ken Burns series on PBS, and wonderful, and you know learned so much about the the backstory of those people. It was yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, we're going to bring on Andy Nettle from. Um, 
back of Beyond Books in uh, in Moab. Uh, give us a few of your the other books on your list, Elaine. Well, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this last time. Uh, my book group um, decided to read um, a book by Craig Johnson, who uh, I think he lives in Wyoming or Montana. It's called The Cold Dish. This is the first in a series of, uh, of mysteries. Well, it turned out, I didn't know it at the time, but it turned out that this w- these books are the basis for the very successful Longmire mystery series on, I think it was HBO. And um, uh, The Cold Dish, as in Revenge is a Dish Best Served Cold, um, Shakespeare uh, reference. But... Um, the books, they're wonderful, and it takes place in a fictional county in northern Wyoming called Absaroka County, uh, which would place it, you know, sort of in the Cody, uh, Sheridan, Buffalo area. I'm doing a lot of work in Wyoming, so I'm enjoying that. Um, the series was filmed in New Mexico, though, and that kind of annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't they have nice land in Wyoming? That's true. Yeah. That, that often happens, doesn't it? But but the stories yeah. are great. They really resonate for Westerners, I think, and um, and modern Westerners. Mm-hmm. It's not just all cowboys and Indians. It's There is an Indian, a good, a strong character, a Native American character in it. So tell us again the... The, the, it, uh, the first book in the series is called The Cold Dish okay. um, by Craig Johnson, and then there's a ser- there are others that follow it. Um, and this is the Longmire series. So. Yes, the Long- yeah. this is the number one in the series. Uh, let me, before we go to uh, Andy Nettle from uh, Back of Beyond Books in Moab, let's uh, get this in from Andrew. He says, I'm currently reading a couple of Alan Watts books, one of the best translators of Eastern thought into English and the Western mind. Become What You Are, which is a collection of short essays on Buddhism and mysticism philosophy, and The Way of Zen, which is a comprehensive depiction of Zen Buddhism, both written well with beautiful language. But if one is looking to understand Buddhism, What the Buddha Taught by Dr. Walpola Rahula changed my life, says Andrew. So thank you for those suggestions. We'll have those on our UPR book list as well. So I believe we do. Do do we have... uh, Andy Nettle on. Andy Nettle, uh, back of Beyond Books in Moab. Welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, coming on with us. Uh, we are compiling, once again, a UPR book list and, uh, of course, want to get your ideas. What's, what's on your list? I want to lead off today, Tom, with uh, Hampton Side's most recent nonfiction piece, In the Kingdom of Ice, The Grand and Terrible Polar Voyage of the USS Jeanette. And I'm sure maybe some of your listeners are already rolling their eyes saying, oh, my gosh, another Arctic or Antarctic voyage uh, story. But we keep coming up with these relatively unknown, uh, amazing feats of exploration. Uh, This chronicles the story of James Gordon Bennett, who is the owner of the New York Herald and one of the richest uh, Easterners at the time, and George Washington D. Long, who was a young naval officer who had only one cruise under his belt before he was given the keys, so to speak, of the USS Jeanette. 1879 to set the stage, and most of the attempts to reach the North Pole at that time were from the East Coast, and there was a lot of popular uh, rumors that there would be an easier access route through the Bering Strait, and there was a, uh, at the time, uh, commonly thought that there was at the North Pole a warm polar sea ringed by a ring of ice, and all you'd have to do is somehow plow through that ring of ice to get to this warm polar sea. And so the U.S. government uh, supported this voyage, and they launched from San Francisco, and as a lot of Arctic explorations happened, uh, they were soon stuck in polar ice north of the Bering Strait. And in this case, uh, their small ship, the the Jeanette, was very well fortified for something like this, but they were stuck in polar ice for two years. And part of the book... Goes through those two years of, of how they survived, how they hunted. Uh, they were well equipped and they had planned for something like this. But after year two, in a period of about an hour, uh, 
their ship sunk, and they had about an hour's warning to get as much gear off the ship as they could, and so all of a sudden they're marooned 1,000 miles north of Siberia, and at where they are at this point is on fairly good polar ice, but as they begin to go across the ice to head south to try to uh, reach land, this polar ice gets warmer and warmer and begins to break up, especially in the next uh, summer. And soon they are attempting to hopscotch from polar ice cap to polar ice cap to uh, iceberg uh, across open waters until they could finally launch, launch their three smaller boats that they have been dragging. And it's just a spellbinding mm. tale of heroism and survival. And uh, what better read than a, a cold winter night than <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the right. kingdom of ice, then, the then grand and terrible polar voyage of the USS Jeanette. Wow. Okay, well that sounds pulse pounding, yes. That's published by Random House. All right. What, what else is on your list? Secondly, I'd like to uh, reintroduce to your audience the story of my heart as rediscovered by Brooke Williams and Terry Tempest Williams. Yes. I understand you interviewed Terry and Brooke uh, 10 days ago or so. Yes, that was on a fun, this title. fun interview, yes. But uh, juxtaposition with The Kingdom of Ice, which launched in 1879, uh, Richard Jeffries, who wrote The Story of My Heart, published this small little book in 1883. And Jeffries was no explorer except for about a 20 mile radius uh, from his small farm in England. But he wrote uh, probably one of the more influential 19th century natural history books. It had been republished many, many times through the middle of the 20th century, and then it kind of fell off the the chart. Uh, Fortunately for us, uh, Brooke Williams and Terry Tempest Williams uh, picked up a copy of this book in a small bookstore back in Maine, and Brooke especially was so enchanted and obsessed by the writings of Richard Jeffries that they they traveled to England, they went to Jeffrey's small home, they interviewed uh, locals who who thought they thought maybe would lead some light into who Jeffrey's was. But even in his hometown, not many people knew of him. Uh, Rachel Carson uh, always kept a copy of the story of my heart next to her bedstand. But it's a, it's a, it's two stories really. It's the story of the book as an object. And as we go into the digital age, Brooke and Terry never would have rediscovered this book if we simply slip into digital books. And so I I love that part of it. And then it's also a a very profound natural history writing. Uh, Jeffries was a very prolific author. He published over 300 essays and articles. He wrote uh, a lot of fiction and Brooke says most of it's not very good from a 21st century eye. But the book was um, has a foreword by Terry and an afterword, uh, so to speak, by Brooke. Uh, he wrote 18,000 words as an afterword. And <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> what they ended up doing is interspersing his afterwords throughout the chapters of Jeffries. It's oh, just I, a I small see. little book. Yeah. But it's a it's a charming book at the same time. Yeah, it it is it is. That's a good point you make. Um, there are some advantages in our digital age, but we don't really go to digital bookshops and uh, you know sit mm-hmm. on the stuffed chair and discover a book like this. Yeah, as I recall, it was a discovery, right? They in, in, they in just a, stumbled upon it in yeah, a bookstore yeah. in, in Maine. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What, what else do you have for us? The third book on my Paul stack, and uh, it's a great season for reading is The Most Dangerous Book by Kevin Birmingham. This is a biography of the book and the battle for James Joyce's Ulysses, published by Penguin Press. We all know about Ulysses, I think, and James Joyce, but what uh, Birmingham did was really go through all the letters and all of the newspaper accounts of what it took to actually get the book published. Mm. Uh, Joyce worked on it for 17 or so years, uh, battling uh, syphilis and many other illnesses. And he would have been a very difficult person to work with in the first place. But (laughs) Ezra Pound befriended Joyce and gave a lot of assistance. Ezra introduced Joyce to a little periodical in the United States called the Little Review, 
which began to publish uh, chapters of Joyce's Ulysses here in the United States, but it soon came up against uh, vigorous obscenity charges in the in the 20s, and that really stymied the publication here in the states for many years. There were famous book burnings going on at the time, and finally Sylvia Beach of the small little English bookstore in Paris, uh, Shakespeare and Company, in 1922, uh, pulled together the money to published a thousand copies of Ulysses. But it's just a fascinating, it's literally a biography of a book, and it details the 15 or so years before Ulysses was finally published in the United States in 1936. Uh, The Modern Library called Ulysses the best English language novel of the 20th century, and I dare say it's, it's a novel that few people have actually read in its entirety. It's a very difficult piece. Uh, from my uh, eyes, but it's a celebrated book. In fact, every June 16th, the day that the book takes place, uh, is Bloomsday all over the world in celebration. Mm. That's the most dangerous book by Kevin, Kevin Birmingham, The Battle for James Joyce's Ulysses. Maybe reading that will encourage me to get back into Ulysses. I own it. I've read part of it, but, <laughs> but not all of it. So I, I yeah. too picked it up after mm-hmm. reading this biography. And I'm still stymied. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's tough. Uh, okay. Well, that, that, that sounds interesting, the, the, the biography of the book. Yeah, but, uh, very interesting. Maybe a couple more, uh, Andy. What, what do you have for us? Yeah, we've got a couple pieces of fiction. Uh, Pale Harvest, also published by Tory House Press. This is a debut novel by Braden Hepner. He was a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop. And I've had a difficult time here in the store... Uh, explaining this book because it's it's so dark, it's so bleak. It really captures the bleakness and despair of a small northern Utah uh, cattle ranch outside of a very small, desolate, dying northern Utah town. But ultimately, it's it's a love story. It uh, you keep looking for salvation in this title. It's a homage to the the barren landscape of the American West. But it's also something that I lost sleep over, this novel. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the bleakness or the the lack of salvation that I kept looking for as I I read this book. But it is a powerful, powerful debut novel, and I encourage anyone who, who enjoys the language of the West to pick this up, Pale Harvest by Braden Hepner. And that one, I believe, is is that Tory House Press? Yes, it is. Yeah, so it's a, a, a great local uh, Utah uh, publishing house. Tory House has been doing some wonderful work in the last three years. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe one more, uh, Andy. Sure, and that segues straight into another Western novel, a second novel by Peter Heller. He was the author of Dog Stars, which... Uh, reached uh, critical acclaim. Uh, This new novel, The Painter, is the story of Jim Stegner, who um, was a celebrated artist down in the Santa Fe area until he ran into trouble with the law. And so he fled Santa Fe to the quietness of Peonia, Colorado. But everywhere Stegner seems to go, trouble seems to follow him. And just as he's uh, turning his life around, he just happens upon an incident um, of a brutal beating of a small horse. And this one incident uh, leads him down another path and leads to murder and betrayal. Uh, it, too, is a love story. It, too, is a, a beautiful, beautifully written book. Uh, along with being a painter, his protagonist, Stegner, is a fly fisherman. And I don't know how many novels use uh, fishing as metaphor, but he does it wonderfully. Heller also is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, and they they are putting out some of the very best writers of today. And I want to sneak one more in. I'll make this very short. But uh, we lost one of our best Western writers this weekend. Kent Harriff passed away. He's the author of Plain Song, uh, Eventide, and The Tie That Binds, and most recently, Benediction. And uh, it's just so sad to see Harris uh, going. He he started writing later in life, 
and left uh, just a beautiful elegy to small town Plains, Colorado, in which nothing really happens, and yet everything happens. Yeah, beautiful books. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for mentioning him. Well, Andy Nettle, thank you so much. Back Beyond Books in Moab. We'll uh, get your list on our website. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, We are going to take another break. When we come back, we will have some more of your suggestions. We're getting suggestions on our Facebook page uh, via Twitter and on email. The email is upraxis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you're reading. We're compiling a community book list. And it's a wonderful way to come together as a community and uh, give each other suggestions. Uh, A book that... Elaine or I may not have been familiar with. We'll pick it up. Yeah. Um, We're hearing from some great booksellers as well. And coming up in the next segment, uh, we will uh, be joined by Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. And we'll have uh, some suggestions from you as well following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 3, accepting holiday orders for chocolate Yule Logs, cranberry tea cakes, and Stalin holiday fruit bread. A visit to the place where you live near the Kalahari Desert in Botswana, where exotic wildlife is right on the doorstep. We love it that we can take our, our young kids and go see zebras and warthogs and ostrich and giraffe just uh, on the weekend or someday after school. The border between the wild and the city in Habarone. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Eat your fruits and veggies. You've likely heard this statement since childhood. However, research shows that it is good advice. Fresh produce is loaded with natural compounds that protect our bodies from disease. I'm talking about hundreds of compounds called antioxidants and phytochemicals that reduce inflammation in our bodies and improve our immunity. Fruits and veggies are low in calories, which is great for weight control, but they're big in volume, so they fill you up and satisfy hunger. Instead of telling yourself to eat less food, eat more food, eat more of the right food. Slice an apple on your oatmeal, grab a banana for a snack, and start your dinner with a colorful salad. Fill half your plate with fresh fruits and veggies, and you'll be a winner for life. Be well, Utah. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. Periodically, we come together as a UPR community and compile a book list. Uh, We know that uh, many of us are avid readers, and uh, we are giving suggestions to each other. There might be a book that you have read. could be a current book or a book from the past that uh, is a must-read for you, and uh, you can suggest it to us. We may not have heard of it. So we're uh, helping each other out. We're compiling a book list. That'll be on our website, upr.org, in just about an hour. Uh, In the meantime, we hope that you will join us. Uh, We're down to about 10 minutes left in the program, and you can uh, certainly get your book one book or a book list to us uh, at upraxcess at gmail.com. That's our uh, email uh, address, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Many have joined us there, and you can uh, tweet us. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. You can call us as well, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Before we bring on uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks, I want to uh, get a few of these from our listeners. Joseph Anderson uh, in uh, Logan uh, Facebooked back in. We I mentioned added upon, and he says, "Wow, excited you mentioned added upon." Anderson talking about Nephi Anderson is my great grandfather. Oh, for heaven's sake! Wow, yeah. what are the odds? <laughs> so, Joseph, next time I'm in the library, I'll want to have a discussion about your great grandfather. He has an interesting history. Uh, Nephi Anderson does, and then Joseph also uh, agrees with you, Elaine. Elaine Thatcher is with us. Uh, he says, "Have to agree with your guest regarding the alchemist." Although it's one of my wife's favorites, definitely split opinions on that one, just like she mentioned. So there's a, there's a, an argument in the Anderson household over, the, over that one. Uh, as there is, I guess the debates are raging. Uh, we move over to our email. 
uh, Mary Ann in the Logan area says, one of my favorite books is Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. Mm. Uh, Ann Patchett, wonderful writer. Yes. Uh, great interview as well. I interviewed her on one of her books. Um, I Interesting heard rec- book. I heard recently that the Lyric Opera of Chicago and Renee Fleming uh, have commissioned uh, to adapt it into an opera. The world premiere will be performed by the Lyric uh, Theater in their 2015-2016 season. I might have to take a trip to Chicago to see that. Mm-hmm. That one stayed with me for a long time after I read it. Bel Canto, yeah. yeah. It's about a, an opera singer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, is a wonderful suggestion. And then Brian in Hyde Park says, The Imperial Cruise, A Secret History of Empire and War by James Bradley. He describes this. In 1905, President Teddy Roosevelt dispatched Secretary of War William Howard Taft on the largest U.S. diplomatic mission in history to Hawaii, Japan, the Philippines, China, and Korea. Roosevelt's glamorous 21-year-old daughter Alice served as mistress of the cruise, which included senators and congressmen. On this trip, Taft concluded secret agreements in Roosevelt's name. These agreements were illegal. Roosevelt thought they would secure America's westward push into the Pacific. Instead, he hit the long fuse on the Asian firecrackers that would singe America's hands for a century. It's a great read and gives you some insights into U.S. history at this time, as well as how the activities came back to bite the U.S. So that's hmm. The Imperial Cruise, A Secret History of Empire and War by James Bradley. So uh, thank you uh, very, very much. And we have a call. Um, this is uh, Eleanor. Did I get your name right? You did. Okay, Eleanor. Uh, what's what's on your list? I have a couple of books by Chris Chris Stewart. Okay. Uh, the congressman? And the congressman. Yes. The very one. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. in the military before, and then he, then he wrote, and then, uh, now he's a congressman. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, a lot of good background. Uh, the one that will appeal, I think, to everybody is called The Seven Points That Saved the World. For, uh, well, Saved the World, I guess. Yeah. You might so want to turn down your radio. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a little feedback I there. Yeah. I know it was bothering me. I did not. Just one <laughs> sec here. There, there we go. That'll, there that'll we help go. a lot. Once, once she gets it down. Okay, we'll try it again. Okay. Yeah, the title <laughs> is Seven Points that, uh, that Saved the World. And uh, then for LDS readers, he has a six-volume work called The Great and the Terrible. Okay, I'm writing these down so we get them on. So Chris Stewart's books. He, What's the first yeah, one again? He, uh, um, seven points that saved the world. Tipping okay. points. The seven tipping points. I'm bad. The okay. seven tipping points <laughs> All right. that saved the world. Okay, great. And what's the second one? The second one is, is a six-volume work called The Great and the Terrible. Okay. Uh, what's that one about? That that would appeal more to LDS uh, readers. Okay. Uh, it's it's about uh, what we're doing here and why and what's happening. It, it was very interesting because of his military background. Toward the end, when things get really uh, tough for the <clears throat> for the world, he has some very interesting um, logistical uh, insights and information that I found very fascinating. Okay, so those are, those are some books. Like, of, uh, like what do you do when, when the Internet goes out? <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, he writes with his brother, Tad. Okay. So sometimes Tad's name is also on there. All right. Well, uh, Eleanor, I appreciate that. Some, some books of Chris You're Stewart. Welcome. This is a great uh, program. I'm really making fast notes fast and furious. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm great. Looking and, for some good notes. And you can go to the website because yeah. the list will be there. It'll be there as well. Uh, in, oh, wonderful. Yeah, about an hour from now. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Eleanor. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. You, you can call us as well, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. We're compiling our UPR book list. And I believe we have uh, Catherine Weller uh, on, on with us. Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks. Welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you. It's always nice to be with you. Uh, so let's, uh, let's jump right in. What do you have on your list? All right. Well, I'll tell you, I had to listen to the show earlier to make sure I didn't cross over with Andy because we've been loving a lot of the same books. Oh, oh you have. Okay. The book I would have read with, he read with, In the Kingdom of Ice. So let me just say I second that emotion and move right into another wonderful novel called, uh, actual, a novel um, in the Kingdom of Ice, nonfiction, a wonderful novel called The Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber. 
Faber received a lot of praise several years ago for his historical novel, The Crimson Petal and the White. This book is completely different in terms of genre. What it is is a, a little bit of science fiction and a little bit of literary fiction mixed together. The protagonist is a man who is a minister, a recovering drug abuser, and a minister in England who is chosen to go to the first outpost in space, a planet that is being colonized by a private corporation. And it's not exactly clear why he is chosen to go there amongst all of the other ministers that interviewed for this position. When he gets there, it, it becomes very clear that he is there not for the people who are in the colony, but for the other inhabitants of the planet who were previously exposed to the Bible by a different minister. And they refer to the Bible as the book of strange new things. And they demanded a new preacher to come and talk to them about the book of strange new things. So this man is sent into space to deal with an alien race. But at the same time, things at home are falling apart. And he receives disturbing and increasingly desperate communications from his wife um, as life is changing in England and obviously around the world as well. It's a wonderful interweaving of both of those genres. Um, I've heard some people say science fiction readers won't be satisfied because it's not techy enough, but I've talked with a lot of science fiction fiction readers who've loved it for the quality of the writing. The characters are wonderful. The descriptions are deep. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it even looks like a good book to give for Christmas. A great cover and gilt edges oh. all around. You oh, can tell okay. the publishers really loved that nice. book. It's called The Book of Strange New Things. Okay. Uh, let me have you pause uh, briefly, uh, Catherine. We do have a mm -hmm. caller on the line. We want to get to Barbara in Hiram. Uh, Barbara, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, Right now we are reading Blood and Thunder by Hampton Sides. It's a, it's a book about Kit Carson. That's what it says anyway, but it's really about the history of the American West and what's going on politically at the time. So it's, it's a very detailed, um, uh, but Kit Carson kind of, as they probably say, rides through it on his mule all the time. But it's a fascinating book. And for anybody who enjoys the history of the West, and the conquer well, not the, even the conquering, the taking over of California. It's a fascinating book and a really good read. Uh, so tell us again, Blood and Thunder by... Blood and Thunder by Hampton Sides. Okay. Blood and Thunder by Hampton Sides. Thank you. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. We'll, uh, we'll get that on our list. Appreciate that. Okay. Uh, it is a great book. Uh, <laughs> Hampton Sides is also the author of In the Kingdom of Ice. Um, yes. He's a great writer, good journalist. Keeping with the American West theme, I have a novel by Lynn Anger called The High Divide. This is a beautiful historical fiction piece um, that really deals with the changing of the American West in the late 1800s. One morning, a man gets up. His name is Ulysses Pope, and Ulysses is not an accident. He gets up and he leaves his wife and his children with just the briefest of explanations, says he's taken a chicken to the to somebody to get killed and he'll be back sometime. Well, he doesn't come back. And he doesn't come back. And the rent is due and they're struggling for food and the boys don't know where he's gone but they receive a mysterious letter from a woman in South Dakota. So they decide to go try to find their dad. They go to um, South Dakota to meet with the woman and after they leave, Greta Pope, the mother, is there alone wondering about the safety of her husband and now the safety of her children. So she begins a journey as well. It's told hmm. in alternating chapters where Ulysses is traveling, the boys are traveling, and Greta is traveling. They meet up, they come apart, they meet up again, and it is such a wonderful story of ultimately redemption with great, great characterizations of the territories up in South Dakota, the Montana territories. And there's an interesting little historical tidbit where Ulysses Pope ends up on the Hornaday Expedition, which was an expedition sent out by the Smithsonian Institution because the buffalo were about to go extinct. So Hornaday's job was to find a small herd of buffalo. There weren't many left at that point, and shoot them all. 
so they could be stuffed and taken back to the Smithsonian so people would know what these animals were. And that's a wonderful metaphor for the West and what happens with the land at that point. Uh, What happens with the buffalo herd, the oldest son, and Ulysses as everything is swirling around is wonderful. This is quiet writing. People who want a rip-snorting book aren't going to like it, but those who love a well-crafted, quiet book that explores a lot of emotions are going to adore The High Divide by Lynn Anger. The High Divide by Lynn Anger. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have you uh, pause again, uh, Catherine. We're, we're having a good thing. We have uh, some calls coming in, and uh, you will have noticed we are going over time, so we're, we're fitting in all of these, uh, this important work of getting the Utah Public Radio book list together. Uh, let's go to Betty in Washington County next. Betty, welcome to the program. Good morning. Um, I first heard about this book um, on NPR, and they have, and I can't remember her name, but they have a woman that comes on there every once in a while and recommends books. And this is an older book called I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. It was originally written in 1948. It is a wonderful, wonderful, uh, a little bit of a coming-of-age novel of a young girl as she's in her late teens in, uh, in England, and her family has come on some, um, she, they're having money troubles, let's put it that way, but she herself is a writer, so you're getting her uh, writing down all these things that happen. This woman, Dodie Smith, ended up uh, a few years later writing 101 Dalmatians, and that's how she has her fame, but this book is well worth your time. Uh, so tell- I Capture the Castle. I Captured the Castle by Dodie Smith. By Dodie Smith. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Thank you. Appreciate it. It is. It's a great book. Thanks. We'll get that on our list. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can call us at 1-800-826-1495. Uh, we, we can't go too much over time, but uh, a few more minutes, and we definitely want to get in the rest of uh, Catherine Weller's uh, list here. Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks. Uh, so what's next on your list? Okay, next on my list is a cookbook, because we all think about cooking this time of year, <laughs> and one of the things we think about at the beginning of the new year is how to be better. And Mark Bittman, the man who started as the minimalist in New York, has a series of books, How to Cook Everything. Um, it's an audacious title, but it's <laughs> they are wonderful <laughs> books. Thick, fat books full of resources with lots of variations in techniques and ingredients. So you can take his recipes and move on quickly to do something a little more to your liking. His latest book is How to Cook Everything Fast. So um, this is a better way to cook good food because, of course, we want to cook food that's good for us and is tasty. His emphasis is on do recipes that can be done quickly and efficiently and interspersed with other activities. So the layout of this book's a little bit different. He works the prep time in with the cook time, so you're prepping as you're cooking. So as your onions are sauteing, you're chopping the carrots. This is something that experienced cooks do instinctively, but as Bittman points out, a lot of modern cooks who grew up with cookbooks, not cooking in the kitchen with their parents, don't really understand that. So this is a great book for those who are wanting to explore the world of cooking and for those that are getting out on their own at the first time. Or for those who just want to mix it up and try a bunch of new recipes. His recipes are always fantastic. So that's um, How to Cook Everything Fast by Mark Bittman. And then I've got a couple of kids' books, because as Anne said, kids' books are so important this time of year. The first is a, a picture book called The Stick by Clay Rice. Clay Rice is um, slightly different as a children's book illustrator. What he does is he illustrates stories with silhouettes. So he cuts silhouettes to lay over painted backgrounds, and the result is a luscious, rich-looking book, colorful and deep in terms of the illustrations. They are just gorgeous to leaf through. Aside from that, he tells a wonderful story. This is about a young boy who finds a stick on the ground. It has some words carved in it, and um, the stick inspires him. It inspires his imagination. It inspires him to dream bigger and go farther. And what happens after he picks up that stick 
and after he leaves that stick for someone else, is just the kind of heartwarming Christmas story we love. This comes from Familius Books, which is a Utah publisher, lesser known. They do a, a variety of different books, but they do some great kids' books. And this one, The Stick by Clay Rice, is definitely one of them. Great. Oh. Always great to have some some local publishers, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful wonderful. one. Yeah. What's next? Last one I've got is Afterworld by Scott Westerfield. Feld, I'm sorry. This is a a young adult fiction, so probably readers 14 and up, although plenty of adults read young adult fiction and love it. So I wouldn't uh, hesitate to recommend this to people who like adults and who like sneaky books. Because this book is sneaky. Westerfeld previously wrote the Ugly series. Ugly's pretty special, so the the kids will know him that way. This book is about an 18-year-old named Darcy who gets an advance as a result of a writing competition to have her book published, and she's supposed to go to college, but instead she decides she's going to New York. So she goes to New York with her advance to work on her book a little bit further, and what happens to a series of weird weird kind of accidents is the protagonist from her book, Lizzie, comes to life. And then the book becomes two books. There's the book that is Darcy's Adventures in the New York literary world, and it's funny and interesting if you're a reader because it talks about how books get made from the, the point of publishing, but he also works in the young adult literary scene. So you'll see mentions of famous um, young adult authors in there, including people like Shannon Hale, who makes a little guest appearance in the Mm -hmm. book. At the same time, there's this other story, which is Lizzie's adventure, um, ushering souls into the afterworld. And that works in Lizzie's world, which is Indian. She um, is the character in a Hindu paranormal romance. So it, that is wow. wild and wacky and strange. The book is funny and really well done. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that sounds like one that I does love sound. to read. Yeah. Uh, uh, a Hindu paranormal romance. Um, yeah. Well, you might want to do this paranormal yeah. romance because yeah. it's actually just <laughs> delightful. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Well, those are some great suggestions, and we'll have those on our website. Catherine Weller from uh, Weller Bookworks, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, happy holidays to you. You too. Uh, just a, a couple more items uh, from our listeners. And by the way, we'll have this all up on our website. Uh, we have this from Steve in Beaverdam, Arizona. He says, I don't get all my reading ideas from Access Utah. Really, I don't. But as <laughs> it happens, and neither do I get all my figures of speech from the names of UPR programs. I just started reading William Alexander's Flirting with French. As a Francophile who lived in a French-speaking, uh, French-speaking Switzerland and who has Parisian relatives, when I heard the author interviewed on Axis Utah, I just had to get it. That's a, that was a fun book, fun interview. Um, Mr. Alexander sets out to try to learn French, and it's uh, it's pitched battle. He, he's, he's, I don't know if he succeeded or not, but he had a lot of fun going along. Uh, Steve continues, and as I eagerly and anxiously wait for Brian Head to fully open for the season, so far only one lift is running due to lack of snow. The other book I'm reading, if reading is the right verb is Secrets of the Greatest Snow on Earth by Jim Steenberg. The reason I hedge on the word reading is that this is a book full of maps, photographs, and illustrations. It's akin to a reference book that you can dive into at any point. So it's not, for me anyway, a linear read, uh, first page to last, but a book I'm savoring in bits and pieces. That is, I echo that's a wonderful book. Jennifer uh, writes back in. Um, she says, I guess I gave out copies, uh, talking about gifts, I gave out copies of my other Salvatore books to a few people. She's the one who recommended Servant of the Shard by R.A. Salvatore. I wanted to give copies of the discourses to the library. I believe Jennifer's in the Vernal area. Well, they said they can't guarantee that they'll add them to the collection, even though they currently have nothing by Gautama uh, uh, Buddha available, but uh, do have the Quran and a bunch of Bibles. I did share some of my collection of the uh, Dhammapada and poems of Rumi, though, to just a few people. I haven't done any major book giving of the kind that requires wrapping and shipping, laugh out loud. I don't really plan on it, so <laughs> that's her gift-giving <laughs> plans. Um, and Elaine, do you have any last uh, books on your list? Well, I'm just reading now uh, The Art Spirit by Robert Henright. This is another classic, and uh, he was a famous uh, painter and art teacher back in the early 20th century, and 
It's a lovely book, and I will report on it on our next show. Oh, great. Uh, tell me again the title. The Art Spirit by Robert Henry. Okay. That sounds good. And uh, uh, just a couple more from my list. I picked up, this is, uh, I think, published in 2001. I, I have an interest in the Basque people. Mm. Um, from reading a novel way back when, and this is a wonderful book by Mark Kurlansky, A Basque History of the World, History of a Nation. Mm. This is one of those interesting peoples um, who are a nation, really, peoples, but don't have a state. They don't have a nation state. They're split over uh, Spain and France. Uh, interesting, interesting book. And then I, I must recommend one of my favorite writers of all time, uh, I, I never fail to laugh when I open P.G. Woodhouse. Yes. And so meet Mr. Moliner on Moliner Nights. Uh, Moliner sits in a tavern and tells stories of his relatives, and uh, it's, it, it's just hilariously funny. <laughs> uh, so we'll have all of this up on our website, upr.org. Thank you so much for participating. Elaine, a pleasure as always. It's fun. Thank you. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk about daylight saving time. It's wonderful for some uh some don't care. Others are just annoyed with this. And we have a couple of legislators who will be on with us who are uh, they're going to propose that we perhaps do away with daylight saving time in Utah. Join Arizona and uh, there are some other western states doing this. We'll have an author of a book on the history of daylight saving time as well. Should be an interesting discussion. That's coming up tomorrow. In the meantime, thanks for listening today. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.